Well, Pastor Larry's loopy, so he wanted to get somebody a little less loopy, so he asked me. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11. Before we get into it, let me just kind of set the stage a little bit of who our author is. Uh, John was one of the 12 disciples, and John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so John viewed himself in that way. Now, if you've realized that Jesus loves you, then you know that you're pretty special, right? Because you, you feel that love. John was known for being especially focused on love. And the church historians tell us that John would speak to venues of, of believers. And when he would, he would simply share this message. You know, everyone's there on the edge of their seat waiting for John, you know, John who actually walked with Jesus. And they're ready to hear what John would have to say, something profound, some great deep insight. And John would simply say, little children, love one another. And that would be it. And John would be wheeled out in his ripe old age and, and taken off stage. And, but, but yet, this was the message. This was what John knew was important. And of course, Jesus said that all men will know you're my disciples for the love you have one for another. So John knew, John knew that it's all about love. The other, uh, there's also a story told of John that the uh, Roman emperor Domitian uh, had John imprisoned and then took John and tried to boil him in a hot cauldron of oil. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, chose to kill John this way, obviously, and John wouldn't die. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be burned alive in a hot, boiling cauldron of oil. It was this miracle, obviously. And that's when Domitian took John and, and exiled him to the island of Patmos, and that's where John gets the revelation, uh, writes Revelation, and, and good things happen there. So when, when, I don't know if you're like me, I, I like to know the authority of, of an author. How can they speak on a topic? How do they have a right to speak concerning such topic? And so John has much authority to speak on love. So that's really what we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be talking about, be focusing on this morning. As you know, we've been going through our series, and we've been focusing on um, kind of the seven things that Jesus said from the cross, or the seven words of Jesus from the cross. And we've talked about forgiveness, we've talked about insurance, and this morning we'll be discussing love. And I think if there's anything that exemplifies love, it's the cross, right? Because as we'll look at here, as we'll get into it, Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have chosen some other way. So let's get into it. So look with me at verse 9. John writes, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So the first thing that John tells us here is that God has manifested his love toward us. You know, sometimes even believers can wonder if God really loves me? Does God really accept me? Certainly the world, there's many pe people in the world who are not part of the church who they don't think that God loves them or if they even believe in a God. They don't accept the fact that God loves them. They're unaware of the way that God has loved them. But the gospel message is just that, that God, has, God loves you, right? Jesus said, I haven't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. So the gospel message at its essence, at its finest, is that God has manifested his love toward us. And how has he done that? John tells us, the second part of verse 9 there. God sent his only begotten son into the world. Now I mentioned a few minutes ago that 
God didn't have to choose to come, to come to the earth. You know, if you think about it in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we all know that it was Eve's fault, but parenthetically, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, if you look at chapter 3 there, obviously, ladies, that's a joke, okay? I don't really, okay. Um, when you look at that in chapter 3, you'll see that already God foretold, he already prophesied that he would send a deliverer. He talks about that he would send from the woman's seed, he would crush the serpent's head, but the serpent would bruise his heel. And in the book of Revelation, John in chapter 4 when he's ushered into heaven, and then in chapter 5 he's in heaven, John sees Jesus as a lamb having been slain from the foundation of the world. So what we know is that the Bible tells us that God has always planned that this would be the thing. This would always be the way that he would reconcile man, the only way that he would reconcile man to himself. There is no other way, right? As Jesus said, I am the way. And that's one thing that Jesus makes clear. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's not multiple paths. There's one way. And, and this type of, this concept can be offensive to people. They, you know, Christians are closed-minded, narrow-minded, only one way. What about the other religions, right? I mean, that's so narrow-minded. But it's interesting because if you take that logic and you apply it to other circumstances in life, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't apply. For instance, if a doctor told you there was one way to cure you of your disease, you wouldn't be offended. That's high, what do you mean there's one way to cure me? That's ridiculous. There's got to be several ways, you know? So, so that, that, type of, that type of argument breaks down. God has made it clear. And if you look at the scriptures, if you look at, if people actually take a, you know, an intellectually honest approach to the scriptures, you'll see that God has chosen there is one way, and that it's that he sent his only begotten son. Of course, you all know John 3.16, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Then John tells us the last part of verse 9, that it's God's desire that we might live through him. So you see, this is, this is the heart of God, is that we might live through him. It's not that Jesus came to earth, suffered more than any man has ever suffered, the most agonizing way you could ever die in the history of, you know, that man has developed you know, ways to kill one another. The most agonizing way was Roman crucifixion. There is no more agonizing, uh, excruciating way to die. It was the worst death. And yet Jesus chose... God himself, Jesus, chose to come and die at that point in history. Again, he could have chosen any other way, but he chose the hardest way, right? He chose what, what would be the most difficult thing to do. And I think that that shows us something also about love, is that love can also, or can entail, the most difficult choice. And sometimes the most difficult choice is, you know, well, truth is always the right choice, but but. You know, people, people question this, they, and they ask, you know, well, if you judge me, how can you love me, you know? But the reality is that Jesus has exemplified that for us. He, he would judge things. He would call it like he sees it. Again, it's not, it's not love if you are just telling somebody what they want to hear. And he, would tell, he told the Pharisees, right, that if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he told the woman at the well, you know, you're right. You don't have a husband. The guy you're living with now isn't your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. So Jesus never minced words but he spoke the truth in love. And it's Jesus' desire that we might live through him. 
And so what Jesus said in John 10, 10 is he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And again, kind of juxtaposing what the world's view is, the world thinks that Christianity or biblical Christianity or, you know, you and I, we're just kind of like boring. It's kind of like, you know, God's a cosmic killjoy. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And if you look at the list of the things they list, they're all things that destroy your life. So yes, I'm not supposed to do things that destroy my life. You guys can't even drink. Well, you know, or you guys can't do drugs or you guys can't, you know, these types of things. But the reality is that, I mean, do those things make you happier? Do those enhance your life? The reality is that if you look at the life that God has laid out in the Bible, it's truly the life on the highest plane, right? I mean, is, let me ask you this, I guess rhetorically. Is your life worse after accepting Christ or is it better? Do you have more peace now or less peace? Do you have more joy or less joy? Are you more in control of your emotions or are you less? I mean, you know, we could go on and on about that. Life is better now, right? Right? Okay, just making sure. I did. Okay. So looking now at verse 10, John tells us, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So now this is interesting because John tells us that love, if you look at there at verse 10, John's saying this, Love isn't that we love God, but that he loved us. And Paul tells us in Romans that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the other interesting thing about Christianity. And I know we're talking a lot about the gospel this morning. You guys are saying, you're telling us, these are all things we know. But the reality is that you need to be reminded of these things, right? I mean, if we look at scripture we see that, the, that the, the authors of the epistles, Paul, Peter, these authors, if you, look at their, if you look at their epistles, they're often reminding their writers about the truths that they had already communicated. And that's really what a good teacher does, right? A good teacher knows, for those of you that are teachers, you know that if you communicate one thing to your students, one in, you know, in one ear, out the other, right? But if you come back to it, year, you know, day after day, week after week, by the end of the year, they're starting to get it. And so that's what a good teacher does. If, if you, you know, commit things to repetition, you will uh, you know, achieve learning. So that's what the Bible does for us, is it teaches these things. And so Paul here, or excuse me, John, is touching on this topic again of the gospel. And I think it's important for us to touch on it again, obviously, as we are, because we need to be refreshed in these things. You know, Think with me, if, if at one point, if the gospel was a little bit more shimmering to you, had a little bit more relevance to you, was a little bit more exciting to you, then maybe you've lost some of that realization or that appreciation of really what the gospel is. And so that's why it's important for us to touch on these things. So John's reminding us that true love is what God did for us first. It's not focused on what we are doing for God or what we're giving to God. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you and I. He's chosen us, right? He's, he's, he's come to the earth and he's chosen to reveal himself. And this is actually also kind of comparing and contrasting with other religions. This is extremely different than any other teaching of any other religion. And I'm hesitant to call Christianity religion. But for sake of argument, to, to list it as such, 
other religions focus on what you do for God, right? You need to do certain things to achieve acceptance by God. You've got to go door to door. You've got to hand out tracts. You've got to, you know, it's a list of things you need to do. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God did the work. It's done. There's a reason why from the cross Jesus said it is finished, right? Now, if you translate te telestai, which is what Jesus said from the cross, if you translate that, the interpretation is paid in full. It's done. The work has been completed, the work of redemption. So one thing that's, that occurred to me while I was studying this is that Christianity is the only so-called religion where you have completed the course the second you begin it. The second that you accept the work, the finished work, there's nothing left to do in the sense of salvation. Obviously, you know, you can't really accept the work without responding to God, right? That's why you're here today, because you realize, I want to be a part of this family, I want to get into the word, I want to serve, I want to pray, those types of things. But John's making a very, a very important point here. Now, it's interesting because going to the gospel of John, John 6.29, we read that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, they said, what must we do to work the works of God? So Jesus responded, this is the work of God, singular, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they were asking Lord, what are the works that we need to do? Of course, the disciples. And, and we do know from kind of some circumstantial evidence that the disciples in general were very um, zealous, uh, you know, practicing Jews. And they were, they were following the traditions, the system that God had outlined in the Old Testament. They were doing this very religiously. So they kind of had this mindset. And Jesus spent three years kind of explaining to them that now it's not a list and you know, a list of regulations. It's not dietary regulations. It's not a certain day that you worship, those types of things. And of course, the New Testament explores that further. But I find it interesting that they ask, what are the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God. This is what God requires, that you believe in whom he sent. So the question then for us is, do you believe in whom he sent? If so, you have done the work of God. Not the work of God, but the work of God that he has for you is accepting Jesus, basically. It's that simple. Now, this notion is somewhat, it, it can be kind of offensive to our conscience. I think we're in a society, and in general, we, in our nature, we want to accomplish things. You feel good when you accomplish. You do something well at work, you get a reward. You know, you, uh, even as kids growing up, if you do your chores, you get something in reward of that. But God has said the work is solely accepting Jesus. That's it. So the good news for you and I is that there's not a list of obligations. God isn't up in heaven going, you haven't done this, you're not doing that, you're screwing up here, you haven't finished that, you gotta do that. That's what, as parents, we do our kids, right? But that's not, that's not God to us. Then John says there at the last section of verse 10, he says that, he sent his son, God the Father sent his son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the word propitiation is just a fancy, uh, fancy word for appeasing. Jesus is the appeasing of God's righteous holy wrath for us. So Jesus took the wrath 
that was intended for you and I, for our sins. And, and Jesus took that on the cross, paid the price, and now we receive his salvation. Again, you guys are saying, yeah, we know. This, this is why we're here. But listen to this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God. So here's how that worked out. God poured out his wrath on Jesus on that day, and his wrath, his righteous wrath, was related to our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus took that wrath, was the pure and spotless lamb, even as in the Old Testament, that a pure, spotless lamb was God's preference for sacrifice. Obviously, if you were poor, there was other things you could do. But ultimately, the priest himself, on the day of Yom Kippur, would, would sacrifice the lambs, the spotless, blameless lamb, for the sacrifice, for the appeasing of God's wrath for the nation of Israel's sins for that year. And Jesus came as that lamb, as John said, from the foundations of the world being slain, Jesus came as that lamb, that pure spotless lamb. There was no fault, no blemish in him. And he went to the cross and died and took the wrath, took the judgment, so that now our sins, past, present, and future, are atoned for. There's been atonement made. So now Paul tells us in Ephesians that Jesus broke down the middle wall of separation. And as you know that when Jesus, remember, when, when he gave up the ghost, it says... That's King James. But when he gave up the ghost, um, it says that the, the veil of the temple was rent in two. And so it, from the top to the bottom, was just torn in two. From the Holy of Holies to the outer, outer courtyard. So now there was no more separation. Now we enter into the Holy of Holies. There's no more barrier between us. It's pretty good news, right? I mean, we can enter in like the high priest would once a year and atone for the sins of Israel. And for, for Paul... Uh, specifically, if you read the writings of Paul, this was a phenomenal concept because Paul was a Jew of Jews. He said a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was blameless in the law. He studied the law. He knew this stuff backwards and forwards. And for Paul to realize that Jesus was that Messiah was just incredible, incredible for Paul. So the message of the cross is that God loved us so much that he did all the work. And it's also that Jesus took the wrath of God for us. Let me read for you Isaiah 53. Isaiah, 500 years before Jesus would die, Isaiah said, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So all of our iniquity was laid on Jesus so that we now receive the perfection that Jesus, Jesus walked perfectly, we now receive his standing with the Father. It's imputed to us. His righteousness is imputed to us. You know, it doesn't necessarily, you don't feel some, you know, this, uh, some, some, some people do when they get saved. You, you physically can feel different. I, I don't know if you guys recall that, but, but you are standing positionally. You are righteous. You are standing before the Father righteous. And Paul tells us we are seated in heavenly places. Let's look at verse 11. John brings home now the point. So he kind of actually sets us up here. Verse 9 and 10. And then John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So this is the message. 
we've been talking about the gospel. We've been talking about the good news. Nobody should leave here depressed, bummed out today because, you know, the reality is that this is good news, right? But John is saying, if God loved you this way, then you need to go love other people that way. And of course, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, go and make disciples. And again, Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples, by the love you have one for another. So our response in thinking of these things and talking about these things and processing these things, our response is to love others. There's no exceptions given in Scripture, although it would be convenient, wouldn't it? But God says we need to love each other. And it's not just loving the lovable. That's easy, right? Somebody is lovable, you know, oh, everything's great, no problem, I can love you. But it's loving the unlovable. And so I think for us, we need to analyze, are we doing that? Are we loving people, you know? in every facet of our life. I don't know about you guys, but once I get on the freeway, it's like after a long day at work, you know, I don't want people to be acting dumb around me with their cars, you know? And, and it, you know, you can be, begin feeling very unloving feelings, right? And I don't think John's thinking necessarily here of us driving on the road, acting loving, but I think that what John is saying is that once you realize the love that God has given to us, and once that pervades your life, and once that pervades your mind and your heart, and that becomes kind of at the forefront of your mind, and you know, you just kind of feel that, that warmth, that love, that, that realization that everything is in his hands, he's working everything out, it may not be the way I want it, but he's working things out in his time, he's already promised me heaven, so he's already promised me the entire package, you know? But once you realize that, then you are freed up to love because you no longer have to be guarded. You don't have to be insecure, right? You can be freed up to love. You can be vulnerable because Jesus, if anyone was vulnerable, it was Jesus, right? I mean, he went into his own town. He went into his own people and yet they rejected him. They said, we will not have this man rule over us. And his own people delivered him up for death. So Jesus exhibited, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to open yourself up and love. And we need to love. And the world is looking for love because the world doesn't know love because the world doesn't have God. And you can't know love apart from God because John tells us in verse eight that God is love. So our response here today as we close, just be thinking about, is there somebody in your life that you've not been showing love to, that you've been holding love back from? Jesus came and loved us when we were unlovely, unlovely. While we, were, while we were sinners, right? It's a tongue twister. So if that's what God did for us, John's saying, you don't have an excuse not to do that. You must go and love. And so the response isn't, well, I'm gonna, okay, fine, I'll be loving. I'll go out and I'll be loving. I'm just gonna start loving people. The response is first realizing that you are loved and that you have been loved. Even as Jesus said in John 15, he said that, if you abide in me, my love will abide in you even as I abide in the Father. So Jesus abides in the Father. We abide in Jesus. We receive God's love being shed through us. And, and we also read that God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. So it's not like I've got I've to really conjure up this love. We also read that the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
right? And the manifestations of that love is joy, peace, patience, gentleness, so on and so forth. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. So as we abide in the Lord, as we go to church, read our Bibles, pray, serve the Lord, go to C group, all these things, as we're doing all these things that we ought to be doing, not out of obligation, but because we get to, if we, if we live that way, then God's love is going to naturally fro- flow through you. It's, it's like a, you know, I often think of this analogy that I've heard used is that you don't see a, a, an apple tree sitting there going, oh, I'm going to produce fruit, I'm going to produce fruit, right? It's natural. It, it's kind of a natural production. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. As you abide in the Spirit, as you walk with the Lord, that, that, that love, it's just going to become natural, so in a sense, I guess I'm saying it's easy, right? If you abide in the Lord. If, if we're doing what we ought to be doing. So that's how John is challenging us. So I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, if, if there's somebody that God brings to your mind, or if there's maybe, maybe a phone call you need to make today, or an email, or, or whatever you need to do, or just in general, if you realize that maybe you've kind of been a little cold. It, it's easy, you know, when you feel like the world's rejecting you, it's kind of easy to think, okay, well, I'm going to reject the world, right? I'm not going to have any part. But God has left us here for a reason, for now. There's still work to be done. There's people that don't know this message that we talked about. And yet we can become so complacent to it, right? So we've got we've to love others by sharing this message and by just in general letting God's love flow through us to those around us. So let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would allow us to be loving, Lord, the way that we're supposed to be. And Lord, we know that this is something that has to come from you. So I ask, Lord, for us here today that you would just flow through us and that you would just do the work, that you would just refresh us and remind us of your love and that you would allow us to then go out and to love others. Lord, just unhinged, unhindered, even being vulnerable, Lord, because that's the way that you loved us. And so we ask that you would just Fill us and that you would use us in that way this week. In Jesus' name, amen.